Chapter 25, Part 2 The Betrothed. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeannie Whitfield. The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. Chapter 25, Part 2 a few miles from this village resided at their country house a couple of some importance don ferrante and donna prasada their family as usual is unnamed by our anonymous author donna prasada was an old lady very much inclined to do good the most praiseworthy employment certainly that a person can undertake but which like every other can be too easily abused to do good we must know how to do it and like everything else we can only know this through the medium of our own passions our own judgment our own ideas which not unfrequently are rather as correct as they are capable of being than as they ought to be donna prosetta acted towards her ideas as it is said one ought to do towards one's friends she had few of them but to those few she was very much attached among the few there were unfortunately many distorted ones nor was it these she loved the best hence it happened either that she proposed to herself as a good end what was not such in reality or employed means which would rather produce an opposite effect or thought them allowable when they were not at all so from a certain vague supposition that he who does more than his duty may also go beyond his right it happened that she could not see in an event what was actually there or did see what was not there and many other similar things which may and do happen to all not excepting the best but to donna prasada far too often and not unfrequently all at once on hearing lucia's wonderful case and all that was reported on this occasion of the young girl she felt a great curiosity to see her and sent a carriage with an aged attendant to fetch both mother and daughter. The latter shrugged her shoulders and besought the tailor, who was the bearer of the message, to find some sort of excuse for her, so long as it only related to the common people who tried to make acquaintance with the young girl who had been the subject of a miracle, the tailor had willingly rendered her that service. But in this instance, resistance seemed in his eyes a kind of rebellion, he made so many faces, uttered so many exclamations, used so many arguments, that it wasn't customary to do so, and that it was a grand house, and that one shouldn't say no to great people, and that it might be the making of their fortune, and that the Signora Donna Prasada, besides all the rest, was a saint, too. In short, so many things that Lucia was obliged to give way, more especially as Agnes confirmed all these reasonings with a corresponding number of ejaculations. Certainly, surely. Arrived in the lady's presence, she received them with much courtesy and numberless congratulations, questioning and advising them with a kind of almost innate superiority, but corrected by so many humble expressions, tempered by so much interest in their behalf, and sweetened with so many expressions of piety, that Agnes almost immediately, and Lucia not long afterwards, began to feel relieved from the oppressive sense of awe with which the presence of such a lady had inspired them. Nay, they even found something attractive in it. In short, hearing that the cardinal had undertaken to find Lucia a place of retreat, and urged by a desire to second 
and at the same time anticipate his good intention, Donna Prasada proposed to take the young girl into her own house, where no other services would be required of her than the use of her needle, scissors, and spindle, adding that she would take upon herself the charge of informing his lordship. Beyond the obvious and immediate good in this work Donna Prasada saw in it, and proposed to herself another, perhaps a more considerable one in her ideas, that of directing a young mind, and of bringing into the right way one who greatly needed it. For from the first moment she had heard Lucia mentioned, she became instantly persuaded that, in a young girl who could have promised herself to a scoundrel, a villain, in short, a scapegallows, there must be some fault, some hidden wickedness lurking within. Tell me what company you keep, and I'll tell you what you are. Lucia's visit had confirmed this persuasion, not that on the whole, as the saying is, she did not seem to Donna Persada a good girl, but there were many things to favor the idea. That head hung down till her chin was buried in her neck, her not replying at all, or only in broken sentences, as if by constraint, might indicate modesty, but they undoubtedly denoted a great deal of willfulness. It did not require much discernment to discover that that young brain had its own thoughts on the subject, and those blushes every moment, and those suppressed sighs. Two such eyes, too, which did not please Donna Prasada at all. She held it for certain, as if she knew it on good grounds, that all Lucia's misfortunes were a chastisement from heaven for her attachment to a rascal, and a warning to her to give him up entirely. And these premises being laid down, she proposed to cooperate towards so good an end, because, as she often said both to herself and others, she made it her object to second the will of heaven. But she often fell into the misconception of taking for the will of heaven the fancies of her own brain. However, she took care not to give the least hint of the second intention we have named. It was one of her maxims that to bring a good design to a useful issue, the first requisite in the greater number of instances is not to let it be discovered. The mother and daughter looked at each other. Considering the mournful necessity of their separating, the offer seemed to both of them most acceptable. When they had no choice for it on account of the vicinity of the residence to their village, whither, let the worst come to the worst, they would return and be able to meet at the approaching festivity. Seeing assent exhibited in each other's eyes, they both turned to Donna Prasada with such acknowledgment as expressed their acceptance of the proposal. She renewed her kind affability and promises, and said that they would shortly have a letter to present to his lordship. After the women had taken their departure, she got Don Ferrante to compose the letter, he, being a learned person, as we shall hereafter relate more particularly, was always employed by her as secretary on occasions of importance. On one of such magnitude as this, Don Ferrante exerted his utmost stretch of ingenuity, and on delivering the rough draft to his partner to copy, warmly recommended the orthography to her notice. This being one of the many things he had studied, and the few over which he had any command in the house. Donna Prasada copied it very diligently, and then dispatched the letter to the tailors. This was two or three days before the cardinal sent the letter to convey the two women home. 
Arriving at the village before the cardinal had gone to church, they alighted at the curate's house. There was an order to admit them immediately. The chaplain, who was the first to see them, executed the order, only detaining them so long as was necessary to school them very hastily in the ceremonials they ought to observe towards his lordship and the titles by which they should address him his usual practice wherever he could effect it unknown to his grace it was a continual annoyance to the poor man to see the little ceremony that was used towards the cardinal in this particular all said he to the rest of the household through the excess of kindness of that saintly man from his great familiarity and then he related how with his own ears he had more than once even heard the reply yes sir and no sir the cardinal was at this moment busily talking with don abandio on some parish matters so that the latter had not the desired opportunity of giving his instructions also to the women he could only bestow upon them in passing as he withdrew and they came forward a glance which meant to say how well pleased he was with them and conjuring them like good creatures to continue silent after the first kind greeting on one hand and the first reverent salutation on the other agnes drew the letter from her bosom and handed it to the cardinal saying it is from the senora donna prasada who says she knows your most illustrious lordship well my lord it's natural enough among such great people that they should know each other when you have read it you will see very well said frederigo when he had read the letter and extracted the honey from don ferrante's flowers of rhetoric he knew the family well enough to feel certain that lucia had been invited thither with good intention and that there she would be secure from the machinations and violence of her persecutor what opinion he entertained of donna prasada's head we have no positive information probably she was not the person whom he would have chosen for such a purpose but as we have said or hinted elsewhere it was not his custom to undo arrangements made by those whose duty it was to make them that he might do them over again better take this separation also and the uncertainty in which you are placed calmly he added trust that it will soon be over and that god will bring matters to that end to which he seems to have directed them but rest assured that whatever he wills shall happen will be the best for you to lucia in particular he gave some further kind advice another word or two of comfort to both and then bestowing on them his blessing he let them go at the street door they found themselves surrounded by a crowd of friends of both sexes the whole population we may almost say who were waiting for them and who conducted them home as in triumph among the women there was quite a rivalry in congratulations sympathy and inquiries and all exclaimed with dissatisfaction on hearing that lucia would leave them the next day the men vied with each other in offering their services every one wished to keep guard at the cottage for that night upon this fact our anonymous author thinks fit to ground a proverb which you have many ready to help you be sure not to need them so many welcomes confounded and almost stunned lucia though on the whole they did her good by somewhat distracting her mind from those thoughts and recollections which even in the midst of the bustle and excitement rose only too readily on crossing that threshold on entering those rooms 
at the sight of every object. When the bells began to ring, announcing the approach of the hour for divine service, everybody moved towards the church, and to our newly returned friends it was a second triumphal march. Service being over, Don Abandio, who had hastened forward to see if Perpetua had everything well arranged for dinner, was informed that the cardinal wished to speak with him. He went immediately to his noble guest's apartment, who, waiting until he drew near, Signor Curate, he began, and these words were uttered in such a way as to convey the idea that they were the preface to a long and serious conversation. Signor Curate, why did you not unite in marriage this Lucio with her betrothed husband? Those people have emptied the sack this morning, thought Don Abandio, as he stammered forth in reply. Your most illustrious lordship will doubtless have heard speak of the confusions which have risen out of this affair. It has all been so intricate that to this very day one cannot see one's way clearly in it, as your illustrious lordship may yourself conclude from this, that the young girl is here after so many accidents, as it were by a miracle, and that the bridegroom, after other accidents, is nobody knows where. I ask replied the cardinal, whether it is true that before all these circumstances took place, you refused to celebrate the marriage when you were requested to do so on the appointed day, and if so, why? Really, if your illustrious lordship knew what intimations, what terrible injunctions I have received not to speak, he paused, without concluding, with a certain manner intended respectfully to insinuate that it would be indiscreet to wish to know more. But, said the cardinal, with a voice and look much more serious than usual, it is your bishop who, for his own duty's sake and for your justification, wishes to learn from you why you have not done what, in your regular duties, you were bound to do. My lord, said Donna Bondio, shrinking almost into a nutshell, I did not like to say before, but it seemed to me that things being so entangled and, and so long gone by, and now irremediable, it was useless to bring them up again. However, however, I say, I know your illustrious lordship will not betray one of your poor priests, for you see, my lord, your illustrious lordship cannot be everywhere at once, and I remain here exposed. But when you command it, I will tell you. I will tell you all. Tell me. I only wish to find you free from blame. Donna Bondio then began to relate the doleful history, but suppressing the principal name, he merely substituted a great signor, thus giving to prudence the little that he could in such an emergency. And you had no other motive, asked the cardinal, having attentively heard the whole. Perhaps I have not sufficiently explained myself, replied Don Abadio. I was prohibited, under pain of death, to perform this marriage. And does this appear to you a sufficient reason for omitting a positive duty? I have always endeavored to do my duty, even at very great inconvenience. But when one's life is concerned, and when you presented yourself to the church, said Frederigo, in a still more solemn tone, to receive holy orders, did she caution you about your life? Did she tell you that the duties belonging to the ministry were free from every obstacle, exempt from every danger, 
or did she tell you that where danger begins there duty would end did she not expressly say to the contrary did she not warn you that she sent you forth as a sheep among wolves did you not know that there are violent oppressors to whom what you are commanded to perform would be displeasing he from whom we have received teaching and example in imitation of whom we suffer ourselves to be called and call ourselves shepherds when he descended upon the earth to execute his office did he lay down as a condition the safety of his life and to save it to preserve it i say a few days longer upon earth at the expense of charity and duty did he institute the holy unction the imposition of hands the gift of the priesthood leave it to the world to teach this virtue to advocate this doctrine what do i say oh shame the world itself rejects it the world also makes its own laws which fix the limits of good and evil it too has its gospel a gospel of pride and hatred and it will not have it said that the love of life is a reason for transgressing its precepts it will not and it is obeyed and we children and proclaimers of the promise what would the church be if such language as yours were that of all your brethren where would she be had she appeared in the world with these doctrines don abandio hung his head his mind during these arguments was like a chicken in the talons of a hawk which holds its prey elevated to an unknown region to an atmosphere it has never before breathed finding that he must make some reply he said in an unconvinced tone of submission my lord i shall be to blame when one is not to consider one's life i don't know what to say but when one has to do with some people people who possess power and won't hear reason i don't see what is to be gained by it even if one were willing to play the bravo the signor is one whom it is impossible either to conquer or win over don't you know that suffering for righteousness sake is our conquest if you know not this what do you preach what are you teacher of what is the good news you announce to the poor who requires from you that you should conquer force by force surely you will not one day be asked if you were able to overcome the powerful for this purpose neither your mission nor rule was given to you but you will assuredly be demanded whether you employed the means you possessed to do what was required of you even when they had the temerity to prohibit you <sighs> these saints are very odd thought don abandio meanwhile in substance to extract the plain meaning he has more at heart the affections of two young people than the life of a poor priest and as to himself he would have been very well satisfied had the conversation ended here but he saw the cardinal at every pause wait with the air of one who expects a reply a confession or an apology in short something i repeat my lord he answered therefore that i shall be to blame one can't give oneself courage and why then i might ask you did you undertake an office which finds upon you a continual warfare with the passions of the world but i will rather say how is it you do not remember that if in this ministry however you may have been placed there courage is necessary to fulfil your obligation 
there is one who will infallibly bestow it upon you when you ask him think you all the millions of martyrs naturally possessed courage that they naturally held life in contempt so many young persons just beginning to enjoy it so many aged ones accustomed to regret that it is so near its end so many children so many mothers all possessed courage because courage was necessary and they relied upon god knowing your own weakness and the duties to which you were called have you ever thought of preparing yourself for the difficult circumstances in which you might be placed in which you actually are placed at present ah if for so many years of pastoral labors you have loved your flock and how could you not love them if you have placed in them your affection your cares your happiness courage ought not fail you in the moment of need love is intrepid now surely if you love those who have been committed to your spiritual care those whom you call children when you saw two of them threatened as well as yourself ah surely as the weakness of the flesh made you tremble for yourself so love would have made you tremble for them you would feel humbled for your former fears as the effect of your corrupt nature you would have implored strength to overcome them to expel them as a temptation but a holy and noble fear for others for your children this you would have listened to this would have given you no peace this would have incited constrained you to think and to do all you could to avert the dangers that threatened them with what has this fear this love inspired you what have you done for them what have you thought for them and he ceased in token of expectation end of chapter twenty five part two recording by jeanie whitfield mississippi u s a